Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Assel, and uh, I've got Souther Teague back on the show today. And uh, I was just looking, Souther, and it's been almost exactly a year since we last Holy spoke shit. because um, th- that episode was entitled 48 Days Later because it went up exactly 48 days after the lockdowns uh, had, had been instituted. So, uh, yeah, it's been damn near a year at this point, and lots changed, but I um, thought maybe we'd have you on and and have a little less depressing conversation, although um, it's, it's hard to avoid the elephant in the room these days. Yeah, well, I, certainly we can have a catch up and a recap uh, about what's going on. But, you know, mm-hmm. off the air, just before we cranked up the machine here, I was saying, you know, we st- it's been a heavy load to bear for the past yeah. uh, 11 and a half months. Uh, and it's not going to be a quick unburdening. It's not like we just get to drop those weights and and you know, dust the, no. powder, dust the powder off our hands and move on. Um, it's going to be quite a while, I think, before people are willing to cram tightly into a, a tiny bar like mine or any bar, frankly, that, that they like they used to. Um, after being told for a year to stay away from people, you're not just going to automatically go back just because you've been vaccinated. There's still going to be those in- inherent fears that are going to stick with people. I think I'm lucky um, in, in a metropolis city like New York or, or Chicago or L.A., I think people will get over it quicker because we're forced to live on top of each other. We're forced to ride the subway. Like we'll get reacclimated mm-hmm. kind of quickly. I, I, I fear for, you know, maybe you're a part of the country where people have enough space to be a part all the time and maybe they don't want to go back to that or, or whatever. I fear, um, you know, tourism is going to be down. I rely on tourism yeah. pretty heavily in New York city. Uh, and I think that people around the world who visit uh, cities like New York, um, and other cities, maybe this year their vacation will be to a beach or to a mountain retreat or somewhere yeah. again distanced. So there's lots of things to think about. I didn't mean to jump you right know, in. I, I didn't mean to jump right into all the bad shit. No, you're good. I've been using, you know, over the last year, you, you know, you've been constantly referring to New Earth, and I've been using your analogy constantly with people in all the interviews. I know you and I kind of made a unofficial pact to do any sort of media interview yep. if they came knocking, you know, and I, I've held myself to that because, you know, there's still so many people out there that don't realize the situation and, and the kind of uh, the, what we're being put through on a daily basis. But, you know, I'm using that analogy of like, you know, we, cause everyone, now that there's a vaccine, everyone wants to ask, well, what's next? And I just have to keep telling them, I don't know. I wish I knew, uh, you know, we left all the old stuff behind. Some of that may come back. A lot of it's not going to, yep. um, and we don't know what's going to uh, replace it. So, you know, those are all those unknowns are definitely, you know, scary times. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the only way out is through. Uh, you're right. Yes, I've taken up that same mantle as you and been available for any interview of any kind about anything regarding this and other uh, throughout this past year. Shocking how many uh, have reached out. Shocking how many places, you know, I see my name or hear my voice um, Mm -hmm. talking about this stuff. It's just I want to get that word out because um, you're absolutely right. It's it's a a shared experience, uh, yet not not exactly shared circumstance. And the easy analogy there is, you know, people keep saying we're we're um, we're all in the same boat. Uh, That is incorrect. We are all in the same storm. We are in separate boats. Some of us have big old nice boats and some of us have little old dinghies. Right. Mm. So there's where the breakdown happens. And that's when it comes to this place where it's difficult to deal with some of our clientele and guests because they are in a very different situation than we are. And they simply, one, one of the things that I think is missing in the, um, 
uh, in the American fabric right now, and I think due to a lot of factors, not the least of which is you know some of the political woes that we've had for the for the past four years, the last administration, uh, is we've lost a, a little bit of our ability to empathize with our fellow man. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if my experience doesn't align with your experience, I simply cannot understand your experience. Um, and that's where I think the troubles uh, come brewing. Um, we have, uh, you know, again, the, this misalignment of uh, priorities and fears and, uh, you know, uh, issues with health and wellness um, because we can't seem to empathize with one another. And I don't know how to fix that. It, I don't know if it can be, frankly. Yeah, I, you know, that's I've kind of just been hiding from a lot of the emotional aspects of it because, you know, I've still got to try to hang on to what we've still have afloat. Yeah, uh, to, to use these these constant, uh, you know, nautical analogy, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it, the day by day just gets me through till I don't know until there's something else to think about and worry about. And and right now, and you know, you and I have talked about it a lot. It's just exhaustion at this point is just kind of keeping me uh, on a just numb on this very superficial level of doing what I need to get done. Yeah, I feel that personally, I kind of. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not shy about talking about my own personal um, issues with anxiety and depression, and they've certainly been amplified throughout this time. Uh, the anxiety really is the one that's been amplified. The depression seemingly, seemingly has taken a back seat, and I think that's due to the fact that um, this is a global situation. I'm right. not. If I were suffering this alone, of course, dark, dark, dark depression. Um, but I'm not. We're all suffering this in, in in our own ways, in a lot of ways, and we do have our cliques and groups and circles where we're suffering it in the same ways. Um, but it's affecting us all. You know, we can't uh-huh. travel. We can't, uh, you know, right. go to bars and restaurants. So we're starting to get back to that. But I think it's frankly, I personally, I think it's too early. Um, yeah. You know, even though I know as a business I need to get back, I want the safety and and security of my team and uh, and and our guests as well. So it's a lot. Um, I don't remember exactly where I was. For me, it's been reverse. I, I, I'm dealing with depression more, and I think it's because of the grind. You know, it's just the the whole reason I'm in the industry is you know to have that kind of uh, a different day every day and and be able to like tackle new creative projects and all these things. And so I've had to kind of force myself to get up off my ass and and do other uh, kind of extracurriculars. You know, uh, like recording music, reading more books, things like that, because. Um, you know, the depression's hit me harder than the anxiety. And, you know, but now I have, you know, antidepressants that I didn't have before. Woo-hoo. I, also have, I also have high blood pressure I didn't have before. So maybe the anxiety is getting to me. Jesus. Um, but yeah, I know. Well, that and I'm, you know, aging. So, but uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been a fantastic year. Equipment breaking down, all that fun stuff. Yeah, so, of course. You know, well, uh, I, I certainly feel for you guys. I mean, we, you know, we, we've got square footage. And, you know, I, I constantly, constantly refer to you, Bar. People must uh, think we're the best of friends because I, I bring up uh, uh, well, a, lot, so. a lot um, because I, I just I can't wrap my head around it. You know, with the, with the strict um, social distancing regulations and to only have 240 square feet to have to try to make that, uh, make a living at that. Yeah. I just, I, it's unfathomable to me, you know, and we now are up to, I think 3,700 square feet at the Inferno room. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, which, you know, we signed on for an additional space. It was a coffee shop next door that, um, didn't last. And we had signed on to take over that space two months prior to, um, St. Patrick's day last year. 
And so, um, which sucked that we just increased our rent, but it did help us in the, like right now, it's helping that we can space people out more. So right. we're trying to look for silver lining. You know? Of course, we're all digging for that silver lining. I think mm. what I was going to mention earlier is that, you know, we decided to close on December 24th um, for all service. Now we expanded as well into our space next door that, that, that went under due to COVID. Uh, we took over and we built two things there. We built a store. So we have a Mori Mar general store at Amori Margo. And now we have a, a second bar space that we call Amori Margo Reserve. And the idea of reserve is that it's a reserved only situation, prefix, and what's called block seating, meaning everyone comes at the same, like theater. Everyone comes together, everyone leaves together. It's a show. Uh, so we can do multiple seatings a night. But currently, even that room only holds at, at the current uh 25%, which is what we are in New York, uh, only holds eight people. But again, we haven't been open since Christmas Eve. So right. I think what I was going to say that I kind of got lost in my own thoughts there was I did so much between March uh, 15th when we closed. 16th was when the when the city told us to close. We closed the day before because we saw the writing on the wall. Um, right. And I did so much and stayed so very busy um, uh, up until Christmas Eve that after Christmas Eve, and I think I had a week there where I was like, okay, I'm just, you know, decompressed, New Year's Eve, which was, you know, nothing. I don't, I didn't even leave my apartment that night, stayed home alone. Um, and then this wash, this huge wave of depression came over me um, because I had done so much for so long and didn't have any opportunity to grieve the notion that I had to close four of my bars permanently. Yeah. Um, I had four different human beings in my life pass away, one of them from COVID, uh, three of them from just other reasons of life and death um, that I didn't get to uh, go to funerals for. So no closure, um, plus just the agony of the heartbreak uh, to go to your bar alone because you, you didn't have anybody to call on and you didn't want to put anybody at risk and clear it out to spend you know 12 or right. 15 hours just pulling this thing that you built apart um, and knowing that it was gone. And again, it didn't, my bars didn't get to have a last evening of service, a, a, yeah. a, last, a last hurrah, a big party. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that that did anything for me um, because we did announce the closure. I think I, I kept it tight, only two weeks. Um, and, you know, we've all seen this over and over again, but we announced the closure of Black Market and Rook. Um, those, both those places closed on September 5th. And the last two weeks of service, we were 86ing every item in the store by 8 p.m. every night, and we couldn't keep up. So it was just brutal for the staff. They couldn't keep up. They were starting from zero on prep every morning right. and had to get everything done. And so we had to, um, we were pulling in volunteers from other restaurants that, you know, felt bad for us and, you know, kind of came in and chipped in. And to me, it was just infuriating to see, like, that people were absolutely willing to turn out and support, um, but only after they realized that, that was not going to be possible any longer at the end of that. Right, right. And you, a little too little, a little, 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 yeah. little, little, little too late. Right. I mean, we didn't need it every night. I mean, if we would have had a night like that once a week, <laughs> you know, right. instead of 14 straight days, just once a week for several months leading up to it, we might have, have poked through the other side. But that part was a little bit infuriating. You yeah. know, you're grateful to have them there. But, you know, at that point, it was just a pass through. You know, they're spending their dollars and I'm sending it back to the government. <laughs> I think, yeah, you were just a conduit. I think that um, 
that's very poignant, Ed. And and you know, I've spoken to many of my colleagues and friends who either own or operate or just bartenders who work at bars here in New York City, um, who we're all going through similar sentiments, which is we're we're torn, we're we're shredded right in half, where we're thinking to ourselves, uh, sort of uh, fuck you for not coming and supporting me, and fuck you for coming and supporting me. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. When right. Doing, when we're doing outdoor and services, then guilt comes with that, you know, yeah, you, it's you, tremendously guilty. Yeah. When, when we're doing outdoor service where literally every single day we opened, we, uh, we didn't, uh, take in as much revenue as it cost us to open. And that's revenue, not profit. We didn't even take in right. as much as it cost us. Mm-hmm. To open. So we're operating at a loss every single day. And you're just mm-hmm. thinking to yourself, Again, like I just said, like fuck you for coming to support me, and f- and fuck you for not coming to support me. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we're in a place that's that's torture, uh, and then we have to do it with a smile and a plum, and uh, you know, be gracious and hosting yeah. and uh, trying to explain why we can or can't do the things that the guest wants us to do that we always could do before, and you know, it, just like so many curveballs, uh, it was very taxing on us um, as human beings just to be able to emotionally navigate those uh, you know let's keep on the nautical emotionally navigate navigate those waters uh with 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 our guests it's horrible it's a horrible feeling to to look at your guest and in the back of your mind be like fuck you for being here <laughs> and also you know, at the same time being like fuck you for not being here <laughs> right. you look at the I, empty I, I, table you look at the empty table and you're pissed that it's empty but you look at the full table right. and you're pissed that they're here yeah that's <laughs> couldn't be phrased better because it's exactly what we go through every day. And, and you know, you mentioned that you took over the uh, Mother of Pearl space, mm-hmm. uh, which again, that's a that's a really damn shame um, that it didn't make it through. But I tell you, boy, y- you guys really, really uh, pulled out all the stops and redoing that space. It's it's unrecognizable yeah. uh, from the photos I've seen. Obviously, I haven't uh, traveled to New York since all this started, but uh, quite beautiful. I. I and, you know, you talked about uh, a more reserve. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but in our last uh, talk was, was again, just right after the pandemic started. This was your spitballing idea that you had mentioned that yeah. you thought that that might, ha- might uh, come to fruition. And so uh, I'm glad that that was able to to kind of take take root. Um, and, and I know you and I've heard interviews with you and, and over the years and we've chatted <laughs> a lot um, and that you're a busybody and that's the way you kind of cope with a lot of your uh, depression, anxiety and just stay busy, you know, keep it, you know, it's not a healthy necessarily way to do it, but you can chase that away, especially if you're a workaholic, yeah. you know, I mean, if it's going to be an aspect of your life anyway. Might as well use it to, <laughs> to, to my to advantage. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the cure is, 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 uh, is, is bad for me, but it's not as bad for me as the the illness. So, um, I yeah. recall a story. I don't remember where you, where you relayed the story. It might've been when you, um, when wine spectator or wine enthusiast named your bartender of the year, uh, <laughs> that story you relayed of saying that, you know, when you first got to New York, you were working so many jobs, you would often get on the wrong train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like that, that's the very definition of workaholic right there. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time in New York city where I had 10 jobs. Um, hmm. I was working days and nights at multiple different places and I would get on the wrong train sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Realize five stops in like, shit, I'm going to the wrong job. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is before iPhones where I couldn't have like a little schedule in my phone or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, just to real briefly about, about uh, general store and reserve. Um, 
So the story is basically for your listener. Um, Amori Margo has always been in the sort of in the back room of the whatever bar was on the ground floor at 95 Avenue A. Um, we literally built our bar in what was formerly the dry storage. Um, so, you know, we were always in this weird analogy. We were always kind of the, the roommate who took the room no one wanted in the house. Um, sadly, Mother Pearl succumbed to COVID and was not going to return. So that meant, frankly, that, uh, you know, if, if you're living in the room no one wanted in the house and the owner of the house leaves, you got to go. <laughs> so our option was we got to go and we were prepared to do that. We had already at that point closed four out of five bars that I owned. Um, I wasn't, you know, if there's nothing noble in going down with the ship to keep with our nautical analogies. Um, you know, I, 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 would, I would fight for it as long as I could, but I'm not going to let it kill me uh, financially or otherwise, right? So uh, we were going to, well, if Mother Pearl dies, then we die too, right? Uh, or we can take over the space, uh, you know, so we can rent the whole house now. What are we going to do if we do? So we decided on this reserve concept, which we'd kind of beta tested in the past, doing what we call two weeks notice, where we have people come in and have a prefix uh, experience once a month. Uh, and we sold out literally 100% of the times we did it. We did it 18 times in a row once a month. Um, but, but now the fear is, can I sell out nightly? Now I need to sell out every night. Five nights a week, we plan to be open. Um, but how we did it is pretty creative. And I reached out to other operators, and 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 I hope maybe you heard this advice too, if you could have used it. Um, we realized, of course, with a PPP loan, which we would have had to pay back if we couldn't use 75% of it to pay employees, right? Payroll protection right. plan is what it was, PPP. Mm-hmm. And if you use 75% of it to pay salaries and wages, then it's uh, converted into a grant that you do not have to pay back. Well, at that point, we were operating at such low capacity, we didn't have enough employees to pay and to use it up. So it was going to be like, well, this is going to wind up being a loan that we have to pay back. We're already in peril. We can't take on more burden of debt. So this makes no sense. So, again, we were on that balancing line of like, well, do we shut down and bail out because Mother Pearl's gone or do we take it over? Well, how can we take it over? We, instead of contracting contractors, which is what you do with a contractor, that's why they have that name. Instead of contracting them to come in and build the space, we convinced them to not be a 1099 employee, but to be an employee. We put them on our payroll. Oh, wow. And so paying them, and we checked with our lawyers, so paying them a a, a salary and a wage, which is exactly what that loan was made for, paid for the two spaces. Mm -hmm. We would have never been able to do it without the PPP loan. That's funny. That's exactly what we did in the Inferno Room, but rather than uh, doing with contractors, we um, brought back a bunch of employees that we didn't need to help us build that second bar that, oh. um, you know, next putting bamboo up, putting the matting up, all that. Oh, yeah, we, 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 made those requirements. Yeah, we certainly did that as well. But the, the lion's share of it went to, um, you know, That's genius. Yeah, paying paying the contractors to get the job done. Um and it's beautiful. Uh, you know, again, your listeners, really yeah, your listeners can go to my Instagram uh, handles. Uh, I'm Amori Margo, of course. I'm also creative drunk. There's plenty of photos of the storefront that we built and the bar itself. And it's, uh, as you said, transformative. It's quite gorgeous. It looks nothing like it looked before. Um, it looks, you know, like uh, I, I say the, the main space of the Amori Margo Reserve looks like Amori Margo dressed up for a night out. You know, Mori Margo itself is a little bit like rough and tumble, gruff around the edges. Ten, you know, soon this month we're ten years old. Yes, wow. congratulations! I thought that that was coming up. I didn't wasn't sure it was this month, but uh, uh, yeah, March March twenty first was right after we closed down uh, last March. You know, on on the fifteenth, so we didn't get to do anything for nine. 
Yeah, it's two rough anniversaries for sure. Yeah, we're hopeful to at least raise a glass and. But right now we're not in service at all. Just the store is open five days a week, and we're um, planning to reopen on April first. But still, um, we haven't we haven't uh, confirmed that we may. A warmer weather coming, so I mean we can get back you know, to outdoor I, I service. We can do all those right. things, but you know we don't love outdoor. It doesn't work. The machine simply doesn't right. work. It's too big, so it takes too much staff to make it exchange the money to make it profitable. Um, so we're not exactly sure if we're going to bother with outdoor. We may just go mm-hmm. back to indoor uh, when it comes to 100%. But even then, as mentioned earlier, not exactly confident that people will be willing to cram in there and generate the numbers that we used to generate for a right. while. Maybe that's six months. Maybe that's eight months. Maybe it's another year. Ed. I don't know. Yeah. I think we're definitely in for a few. Uh, but, you know, it's we've ha- I've had you on the show, I guess. Well, you've been on the show once before. We've talked a couple of times on, on air, and I... I got to, I got to sit next to Simon Ford, uh, you know, and the speakeasy. I love that when you're like, "Hey, you want to come by the studio?" I'm like, "Yeah, who's the guest?" Simon Ford, and like, "Well, cool." Um, I'll say hello. <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt Simon. <laughs> but um, you know, we've never we've never kind of uh, kind of dove deep into what you do um, because you know we've we've our first recorded conversation uh, was. Uh, about COVID and how the effects that we've had on our bar. Oh, sure. And, or our bars. Uh-huh. And, um, but, you know, you have this, uh, <laughs> I don't even want to say homage. I mean, you've got this palace of, of bitter that, um, and that's what you've become known for. And, and it's, and it's a bar that shouldn't work. And I mean, you, you just, it's like someone sat down and said, okay, if you're going to open a bar, here's all the things you got to do. And you said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do any of those things. <laughs> I don't want juice. I don't want to shake drinks. I, you know, I don't want sugar. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a little shtick about it that I've worked up over the years, um, as I have about many things. I feel like I'm one of those kind of people. My dad was. He, he's one of those people who you knew him most by the fact that he said the same things over and over again. Um, <laughs> it's just rehearsed. You know, he just his whole life was uh, rehearsed in lines. So I think that's rubbed off on me in a lot of ways. So I have this little shtick about Amori Margo. Let's assume it never existed. It's never been there. It's never been conceived. It's never existed. Uh, and you are considering investing in a in a bar. And I'm going to pitch. Here's the pitch. Uh, I found a space. It's frankly too small, 240 square feet. Uh, it's got uh, terrible lighting because we didn't have enough budget to spend any money. Uh, I can only play background vocalist jazz music from a single speaker stereo system because I made a deal with a neighbor upstairs who's been there for 30 years. Um I'm going to uh, have no seats available. Uh, we're hopeful that the room will be very full of people at all times. And we're going to offer things that no one has ever heard of. Uh, how would you like to invest? Not only things that people haven't heard of, bitter things that people have never heard of. Right? So uh, I often refer to Amori Margo as the bumblebee, uh, as you just said. Uh, and the joke there, of course, is, you know, it's not aerodynamically sound. It's somehow it flies. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we don't know. We just we just nurture it and love it and, and want it to continue on. So, uh, but you've done amazing things. I mean, I'm sitting here. You know, I've got your book. I I got, of course, I bought that when it came out. And you've become this authority. You've done numerous interviews. You know, all the accolades. Uh, you know, magazines and all that. You know, and but you know, it's it's really a testament to your passion for you know bitters and 
I think uh, most of the bartenders I know, we uh, you know have your your Amorpin. This is I Heart Bitters, and um, yeah. you know it's one of those things. It it takes a little bit of work to chip away that stone because it is a very confusing. I guess would you call it a category because it's so wide. I mean, can we call it a category? Uh, yeah, it's a category. It is a it's a broad one for sure. Right. Just like rum, you love rum. It's a huge category, but it's a category. Uh, there are parameters with with which you have to you know adhere to be inside of it. So so it's true. Uh, but yeah, it's um it's frustrating and fascinating because there are no rules. Um, mm. So so that's fascinating to me. It's like I get to try these different things, and there's no real rules overseeing them. There's no governing body, et cetera. Uh, but right. it's frustrating as fuck to the general public because they're like, just tell me that this and this are the same. Right. And you can't yes. you can't you know I'm like. No two tomorrow are alike. And they're like, well, how can that be? And I'm like, well, it's like milk and 7-Up. They're both liquid, but that's about all they all have in common. <laughs> you know? Um, you know? So, I mean, if we start at 101, because I do get this question from a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a, a lot of um, kind of newbies as we're training people up. And then, of course, it's guests. Like you said, you know, we love to, to talk and, and tell stories at the bar. And people are like, oh, okay, what, what is – what is the category? What is bitters all about? Or what is, uh, you know, Amari about? And like, I guess in a nutshell, and we, and don't give it too much away because there's a book we have to sell here. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. We can, we can give it away. Um, my book is available uh, on my website, on my uh, Instagram and on my Facebook and Twitter handles. Uh, you can get And it'll first. also be linked through on the show notes. And personalized copies. I'll sign them uh, and put your name in there as well. Uh, and I also sell a puzzle. Because uh, I pivoted so many times, uh, so it's real. It's pretty simple to me, and I try and explain it in broken down terms so that it's simple to the to the you know user slash listener. There are two main categories of bitter: tincture, T-I-N-C-T-U-R-E, tincture bitters, and potable, P-O-T-A-B-L-E. Potable means drinkable. Tincture bitters are all the ones you see on the front of the bar uh, next to the bartender, uh, including uh, Angostura with its oversized paper label and its bright yellow cap as its signature, Peixos, Regan's Orange, and the Myriad. I have over 500 others that uh, line the bar to Mori Margo. Uh, potable bitters are the ones you see behind the bartender on the back bar. That's Campari. That's even Jägermeister. That's uh, Zwack and Unicum. That's uh, Brasilberg. Um you know, all the uh, crazy Italian and otherwise uh, liquids. They're both built on the same construct. Uh, three main prongs prop it up. Alcohol is always the base. Uh, in the middle, surprise, surprise, a bittering agent. And then on top, the flavor agent. Uh, we can use uh, the most known ones, right? Uh, Angostura, we mentioned already, as the most known tincture bitter. Alcohol is the base. Gentian is the bittering agent. Gentian is a flower. It is the most common bittering agent, and I think it's the most common because it's a flower. Easy to grow, easy to harvest, easy to carry. It's light. It's a flower. Um, and then the top notes there are cinnamon and cardamom. Probably the world's most known potable bitter is Campari, the one that, that you have inside your uh, Negroni. Again, uh, alcohol is the base, uh, and uh, I didn't mention, but any alcohol can be used. It's up to the maker. This is their soup. They can make the recipe however they like. Uh, mm -hmm. Gentian, again, rears its head. Again, it's the most common one, but it happens to be in this one, too. Uh, that's the bittering agent. The top notes here are uh, burnt orange and caramel. The big differences between the two are uh, one main one. Uh, potable bitters have a fourth prong, and that fourth prong is a sweetener. That sweetener can be sugar, honey, molasses, beet molasses, et cetera. Again, their recipe, they can use whichever one or ones that they'd like. Um, whereas uh, tincture bitters do not have a sweetening agent, typically. Uh, this means that tincture bitters are wildly out of balance. Um, 
it would not be a comfortable or wonderful thing to the average consumer to have a glass of Angostura bitters before lunch. However, a glass of Campari on ice before lunch is a delightful thing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the nutshell of what bitters and uh, both potable and tincture are. Uh, the real sort of uh, analogy that I use for the average consumer is all the potable bitters and every other bottle you see behind your bartender at a bar, everything you see on that back bar, that's all soup. All the tincture bitters, the little bottles on the front bar in front of the bartender, those are all seasonings. And you don't eat unseasoned soup. I tell you now, please stop drinking unseasoned cocktails. That's it. The only way, to, the only way to misuse bitters is to misusing the bitters. There you go. That's, uh, I think, probably the biggest... Uh, it was the biggest eye-opening moment when, you know, uh, craft cocktails kind of came back around, um, which for me was coming around <laughs> in general, um, you know, because in the in the 90s, you know, that we always had that one bottle of like Angostura that nobody knew what to do with other than throw it into some soda water when they weren't feeling well. And, um, you know, now if you've got a cocktail that's put together and it's, it's missing something, that's exactly what it's missing. It's missing the seasoning. Yeah. And it's, it will, not only does it uh, kind of bring and elevate and tie the room together and know all these fantastic things, but it's also an area where you can really um, tweak without overwhelming, you know, the, the drink with it, with a new flavor. I think largely you should only notice the bitters when they're missing. Mm-hmm. I don't taste something that's well balanced. You know, again, let's use soup. I don't taste soup that's well balanced and think to myself, this is well balanced. I just eat it. It's delicious. I taste a soup that doesn't have enough salt, and I'm like, I need salt in this. I noticed right. it. I noticed it because it was missing. Right? I think that that's true of tincture bitters for sure. Uh, you shouldn't notice them unless they're missing. I think it's a perfect analogy, especially coming from someone that was a chef for 12 years. <laughs> yeah, and I will, I will back up and say I think that largely. Now, right. there are drinks sure. that rely heavily on the bitters. You know, the Trinidad Sour. Obviously, we've made a mistake if we don't have any Angostura in there. Thanks, Giuseppe. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very small drink without the bitters. <laughs> Thanks, Giuseppe, for making me charge people $35 for a shaken drink <laughs> in New York City. Um, and it's so, so good. It's delicious. It's, it works. That's the, that's the thing. It works. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, and there are a couple drinks, you know, uh, even things goofy as the seal bock, like you have to, it's a heavy load of bitters in there. You know, you're going to miss right. it. If it's not, uh, you're going to obviously have the wrong drink if it's not there. Um, can you get away without them? Yeah, you can. Absolutely. I, I guarantee most of your listeners, uh, and, and myself included, most of the places I go and order a daiquiri, it's rum and some kind of sugar and, and some kind of citrus juice, right? Well, at my bars before they closed, uh, not a Mori Margo because we don't use juice or sugar and we don't shake drinks. But at my bars that serve those kind of things, I'm hitting that drink with a dash of black lime bitters before it goes out. I'm mm. adding one more little layer in there that's bringing those things together. Like you said, ties the room together. The fucking ugly throw pillows that, you know, your wife or spouse or, or significant other must have on the couch well, God damn it! When you look at them, they really do bring the room together, don't they? Are they integral to the room? Is the room unstructurally sound without them? No, but man, the room is better with them. 
Again, I don't I notice them. Look around on my like Zoom camera to see if my pillows were actually in in view. I'm like, I'm feeling attacked here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, your listener just hears the podcast, but you and I are looking at each other. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, so, but you know, I was just um, going back through your book, uh, flipping through before we sat down today. I've I've gone through it already a couple times because uh, surprisingly, it's already two years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, well, of course, one of those years nobody did anything. Um, right. But, uh, you know, you talk about, um, you know, bitter being the, the taste that we actually have to acquire. You know, we, we don't have to acquire any, uh, you know, or get accustomed to, to sweetness. You know, obviously, that's a, a biological need to be drawn towards calories and those sorts of things. Uh, but bitter is, is typically the um, on the opposite side of that. It's, it's a warning. Sure. Uh, what you're alluding to is the fact that biologically we are hardwired to crave sweetness right out of the womb, and that's twofold. Uh, that's because um, sugar and sweetness are uh, calorically dense, which we need for survival, um, and also uh, overwhelmingly things that grow naturally on planet Earth that are sweet are not poisonous. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, bitter uh, we perceive as as a poison, as a threat to our uh, self and our survival as a species. So automatically, your brain, uh, as soon as it touches your tongue, your brain says, "No, no, that's bad. Get it out. Uh, uh, don't use that. Uh, stop, stop what you're doing." Um, so you have to kind of do an end run. I always say, if kids ran the world, we wouldn't have broccoli, right? Broccoli is too bitter for kids. But the fact that we keep making them try it means they acclimate themselves to it and they come accustomed to it. To your listener and to, to you know our fans in, in the world of cocktails and, and drinks, the same is true of alcohol. The first time you tried any alcohol, and I don't care what it is, uh, beer, wine, liquor, when you tried it the first time, it was bitter and shocking and you did not like it. What you did like was that you knew that it was going to have a result that you desired, mm-hmm. and so you pursued that result even past the notion that your tongue and your brain told you, I don't like this. And then you become accustomed to it, and then you like it. You know, you and I are sitting here drinking right now. You're having a Amaro Pasubio. I'm drinking some some rum, uh, a Fiji one from Plantation. I already lost the bottle. Um, and, you know, if we were having those for the first time ever having alcohol, we would be like, oh, my God, this is what is this? I can't drink this. Right. Uh, and that's what we were the first time we had alcohol. Nobody jumps deep into the pool and says, I loved, I was chug-a-lugging rum the first time I ever tried it. No, uh, it's it's an acquired taste. We only taste five things, sweet, sour, salty, umami, and of course, my favorite, bitter. Um, and of them all, uh, bitter is the only one that's an acquired taste. Sweet, we're drawn to immediately. Uh, sour is a thing that delights us. You can go find all those videos of infants being fed, uh, you know, lemon juice, uh, and you see that they they their, their, their faces are shocked at first, but then they giggle because they like it. Um, uh, salty, required for life, uh, mineral that we need. Um, umami, which is savory, that's comforting. We all love, you know, mashed potatoes and pot pies. That's very comforting. That's savory. Uh, you know, I read some research uh, several years ago, and um, I don't remember if it was in a peer-reviewed journal or not, but um, there was some research that was exploring um, the fact that we have humans have receptors for glutamic acid from uh, infancy. Um, because it's found in breast milk. Yep. I get on this. I get on this pedestal about uh, glutamic acid and MSG because it just gets a bad rap. It's you know oh, the pseudoscience that happened in the seventies with the Chinese restaurant syndrome, yeah. and then what we've seen now. But you know, it's I encounter it because I. It's just it, it's incredibly racist, you know. And I, I have an Asian restaurant, and so people coming in all the time and just assume that we're just dumping MSG into stuff, and like I can't have it. I'm allergic to it. 
which bullshit. has not really been you know <laughs> documented. But on top of that, you're like, well, do you eat tomato sauce? Do you eat kimchi? Do you eat pickles? Like all these Mushroom, things, eggplants. Uh, yeah, right. all these things have uh, na- corn naturally occurring MSG in them already. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an extract that we pulled out, just like we make other extracts. Uh, yeah, you know, I used to work for David Chang, right? Um, by proxy. Oh no, I didn't realize that you worked for. Well, by proxy, right? Uh, Booker and Dax was in uh, the backside oh, of. of uh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, Booker and Dax was in the backside of Sambar, and you know they did have a five-gallon bucket of MSG back there. Of course, they're not dumping it in everything, but they're ju- sure. they're judiciously using it to make things more delicious. It just um, it's almost like a dilator. Yeah, my mouth's watering talking about it. It's almost so like- you know what I, I always say it's like ecstasy for your tongue, right? So like when you take ecstasy, you've kind of opening up more receptors so that you can get all those fun dopamine and serotonin receptors really sucking it in, and and that's effectively what's you know your tongue's just kind of potentiating that effect. Uh, and um, when I say ecstasy for your tongue, people are a lot more into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought regular ecstasy was ecstasy for my tongue. Uh, that's where I put it anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a, a terrible shame that it got such a bad rap, and that the effects yeah. of that bad and pseudoscience, as you mentioned, have been so lingering. Like, yeah, it's been I mean, some lingering. Years. It's been some lingering bullshit <laughs> that's really hung on. It was disproven almost immediately, like within two months, and no peer-reviewed uh, journal was able to replicate those. I know we're completely off topic. Like I said, once I get going on it, I'm just like, come on, people. Um, you know, and it's the same people that kind of come in and say, you know, I can't have MSG. I'm going to have violent relax- reactions. Like, flip over your bag of Doritos. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. I think it was a yeah. the alt that did like the uh, that great article on Serious Eats about like how well-designed nacho cheese Doritos were with like the Romano cheese and the pecorino cheese and then the potentiators and like it's this – that's oh, why they're so addictive. Fucking Heinz ketchup. <laughs> Heinz ketchup is like jam packed. Uh, uh, <laughs> they they scientifically designed Heinz ketchup to spike on the four out of five uh, flavor uh, notes at once. It spikes your wow. tongue with sweet, sour, salty, umami at one time. So it's got this crazy. Again, my mouth is watering talking about ketchup. No stand a chance. What's that? So you don't stand a chance. Yeah, you don't stand a chance. That's why, that's why again, kids are willing to put ketchup on salty French fries. They're willing to put ketchup on their fucking creamy ice cream. You know, they're willing to put ketchup on uh, broccoli to hide its bitterness. Uh, like, yeah, they, that's, some, that's a marvel of modern engineering, fucking ketchup. But, you know, going back to, and, and, to I don't, and I have nothing wrong with it, by the way. I fucking love ketchup. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I love anything that brings, you know, all of that to all of those things to my meal because it, uh, you know, it, it does make everything delicious. You know, with, uh, you know, Dr. Dr. I think he was a doctor, Ajinomoto, that, you know, was like, how can we get all these amazing things that happen in soy sauce to other food? And like, well, let's attach it to sodium. Now we have salt. Boom. Easy to spread around. Yeah. But eh, now we now have a lesson, a short lesson on MSG, but we don't have that, our, our lesson on, on bitters yet. So because that is the one that we do have to get accustomed to. And like you said, you know, if, if children were running the world, we wouldn't have any of these things uh, because they haven't quite gotten used to that yet. Um, the reason I ask about that is because um, it kind of fits a lot into what you love to do and what I love about you is that um, it almost seems as though, you know, Amari and bitters, because there is very little um, kind of common regulation uh, across the board in the category that um, each individual bottle kind of it, it 
has this inherent, it, it brings this inherent need to study the history and the storytelling aspect of it. And like a lot of these, you know, producers have been around for hundreds of years and it's just, there's a romantic ideal, you know, that kind of gets attached to it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we, of course we have this same mentality towards any bottle of spirits on the bar. Um, mm -hmm. we, we want to know the story, the history, the, the, you know, the, the, the legacy that they're trying to lay down if they're young or the legacy that they have laid down if they're old. Um, this is all true of Amari as well. It's a little bit more romanticized, I think, because most of these brands are as old as they are uh, and have right. been and have been around for as long as they have. So we can talk about that just a little bit, you know, uh, how it's a bit, basically somewhat of a collective subconscious on how Amari and Bitters were created in the first place. Uh, I always say without um, without them, I don't know that we would have been able to to map the world. Right. So we say uh, we're in our little tribe. We are, we're right down by a creek. So we've got some water and we're living, uh, you know, outside and we've got a fire and we find these uh, sticks and leaves that when we put them in the water and drink that water, we feel better. Right. So this is some kind of tea that we've made. This is some kind of elixir, but it's water based uh, and it, it, it doesn't last long and it's not very extracted. So it's not very strong. Move forward in time. Uh, this same sort of clan of people have now uh, understood at least a rudimentary understanding of fermentation. You know, we've, we've, we've had some fruit that went to ferment and, and then we drank the liquid anyway. And we realized it was more potent than the fruit juice was before. And we put those same sticks and leaves in there. That same tea is now stronger because it's being extracted by some alcohol. Uh, and now we can get out of the, 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 the camp and go because we can take our medicine with us. Yeah. But it doesn't last forever. It's a ferment. It's not shelf stable forever. So we can't go too far. We can go kind of far. And then we got to come back to camp. Then we discover distilling and we can make pure alcohol. And we put those same sticks and leaves in there. So now we're making a tea, but we're using a spirit base, which is shelf stable indefinitely. So now we can go as far from camp as we want. We can go literally generations away from camp. I can go away. I can have a family. That family can have its own children and those children can come back. We were gone for two generations. We mapped the world. I got a map to show you where we were. Yeah. So now we can go around the world. So this all happened kind of at the same time. Uh, most of them were just uh, a way to use and save calories. Meal delivery, sorry. Right. I, uh, my wife's bringing me my nightly edibles. Yeah, nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, we can um, you know, uh, extrapolate that a little bit and say to ourselves, well, uh, you know, now that we can understand how to extract this stuff, whether we, again, this is collective subconscious, whether we understood it or not, we were doing it. That was to say, we may have some herbs and vegetables or whatever that we are uh, harvested and it's, uh, um, the winter is coming as they say on the show that everybody loved. Uh, and this stuff is going to go to rot and we're going to lose it. We're going to lose its nutritive value. What we really need this stuff for is nutrients back then. Or imagine again, we weren't thinking things like, Oh, our gourmet leeks that we grew or our delicious, right, you know, right. blueberries. We were thinking these things give us calories and nutrients that we need to fucking survive. Mm -hmm. So again, collective subconscious dictates that not only were we were doing that with those sticks and leaves and making those teas, we started doing that with, with products and putting stuff in water. Of course, didn't last, went bad. We lost the nutrients. Putting that stuff in wine lasted longer for sure. We got to hold on to those nutrients and use them later. Once we created distillates, holy cow, this stuff lasts forever.
So now we're saying we're going to take all this stuff and turn it into, uh, fold it into a distillate in some way, either by maceration or distillation, et cetera, or both. And now it lasts forever. And I can get those nutrients later. When it's dead cold outside, I may not have anything to literally chew on, but I can drink this liquid and it's got all the same nutrients, so I will survive. Uh, and then we get past that point where we're you know, much more civilized and we say, well, some of it's delicious and some of it isn't. And we say, well, Ed's stuff is delicious and Southern stuff isn't. So let's stop, Southern, stop making your shit and let's go barter with Ed and pay him in some way, some eggs, a chicken, a goat, I don't know. Well, edibles, Ed, Ed seems to like those. Um, Goats and edibles, I'm okay. And then we start trading and what happens is we whittle away at the ones that weren't delicious and we end right. up staying with the ones that are. And so we lose the ones that were just, again, there to hold on to nutritive value. But now we've got commerce and we've got other ways to come across nutrients in times when we can't grow or harvest them ourselves. And that's how we get to the place where we have Amari on the shelves that, uh, you know, these are the ones that are these are the ones that survived because they were delicious. <laughs> so, if right. it's, so if it's around and it's been around for as long as most of these brands have, it, there's there's much to be said about its its deliciousness. And I think that does speak to that romanticism, you know, because, you you know, you said you, every bottle on that shelf, you know, and, you know, me being a rum guy, you know, some of those, you know, uh, those producers have been around for 300 years. Um, I would say, you know, that's probably what we're looking at. I mean, Hampton Estate has been around since the 1700s, um, but that pales in comparison to, to the age of some of these uh, kind of um, iconic Amari bitters, like just even the um, we're doing. It should be noted that we're doing this late at night after I put in a fourteen-hour shift. I'm like, my brain's not working. Um, you know, the, the, the pedigree that these things have, have been around for you know for so long, even if they're not necessarily the same producers, but um, the the techniques, the herbs, the herbals that are you know and. I think, I think at the very least, whether they're made by the same families or or or, or not, you know, because things change hands over time. Um, sure. What what seems to be a common thread uh, in Amari, uh, over overarchingly, is uh, a strict adherence to uh, tradition. So you know, again, the, the the ones that we see are the ones that survived because they went through all that trial and error of is it delicious or not. Once we got past a place where we were drinking them simply out of need, um, you know, for survival, uh, to the place where they're delicious, and then they are largely untouched. Most Amari brands boast uh, things like traditionally made in the way that it was originally made. Uh, we've been making it this way, you know, Amaro, uh, Amaro Montenegro, their, their, their slogan is every day since 1885. They've been making it the same fucking way since they started in 1885. Um, and that's, 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 that's <laughs> I love yeah, that stuff. yeah, me too. And that's a testament to like, uh, again, legacy and, and just holding on to tradition. Um, and that means that uh, largely, I think they don't fall off, you know, um, because right. we can come to appreciate them and understand that, that, the, that, again, I think the hurdle that we have to overcome is that first sip. Uh, because, right. uh, you know, in our, in our country anyway, you're 21 before you're legally allowed to drink anything. And even if you drank stuff before you're 21, you weren't being critical about it. You weren't being thoughtful. You were just doing it for the, for the result. So you're 21. You're finally drinking bourbon you know, or, or tequila because you can. Um, but you're probably 25 before you're like, what is Amaro? Right. And it's kind of reset. It's almost starting over. That first bourbon, mm -hmm. as we mentioned earlier, that first bourbon or whatever you had, it shocked you. You didn't like it. You drank it because you wanted result. You learned to like it. Then you step into Amaro and you're like, oh, 
I don't like this either. It's a reset. And you can decide at that point to take the reset and go with it. Or you can say, I tried it. I didn't like it. I'm out. Well, it's an intimidating category because uh, you've got you've got a a lot of French, Italian names. Uh, Some of them can be quite overwhelmingly bitter. Uh, Some of them could be quite sweet. You know, there's it's kind of a difficult one to tackle. I always liken this to um, to playing craps. You know, like uh, you walk up to a craps table and if you watch the game being played and you try to figure it out from that, you'll never learn a damn thing. But if you kind of watch what one or two people are doing, you'll be able to like piece it together. And, you know, when, and that, that holds true uh, in a lot of categories, actually, in alcohol, but particularly ones that uh, don't have sweeping regulation, you know, to get that AOC or that appellation. You know, we know how bourbon's supposed to be made. But when you expand that out and you zoom it back out to the whiskey category, then you've got a lot more options, um, you, you know. And so with bartenders and, and bar owners we're we get geeky about this stuff especially recently you know and in large part due to guys like you that have been pushing and, and promoting this category as something to be taken very very seriously not only seriously but you could build, base a whole concept around it but there's still a big disconnect between our side of the bar and the other side of the bar oh sure now, Probably less so at your place, but I'm sure you still encounter it. I've been to your bar several times, and I see people that are just coming in because they heard about it, you know, and they don't know what to expect. Sure, sure. We get a, a lot of the the Yelp uh, um, phenomenon, right? We have four and a half stars on Yelp. Uh, we're we're rated as uh, this is crazy. Uh, I, I assume it's still true after the pandemic. It was true before the pandemic. Uh, by Yelp's metrics, we are the highest rated cocktail bar in New York City. Uh, there. Oh, wow. There are other bars that have four and a half stars, uh, but it's based on time and how many reviews and what that four and a half stars means. There's a there's a metric out there. Business Insider, mm-hmm. Business Insider magazine did a, a story about us um, that that outlined how and why. I, it's beyond me, and I don't I don't give a fuck. By the way, I've never read Yelp, and I never will. Um, but yeah. the Yelp, Yelp phenomenon is people come into the bar often. And they walk in, and it's you know tiny, 240 square feet, packed full of people. And I come over because we come out from behind the bar, and I, I walk up to them and I say, "Hey guys, I ask everybody if I've never seen your face, you're gonna get asked, how'd you hear about us?" Uh, and the worst answer, frankly, is Yelp. And here's why: um, I say, "Hey guys, how you doing? How'd you hear about us? Oh, we hear about you on Yelp. Uh, I'll have a mojito. She'll have a glass of champagne. Uh, <laughs> uh, like a cosmopolitan. And what beers do you have on tap?" Uh, and I go fucking guys, I got none of that shit. You didn't read a damn thing about me on Yelp. You saw four and a half stars, and you came in here. Um, right. You didn't do your homework at all. However, uh, being a good concierge that I am, I, I you know I've lived mm-hmm. in I've lived in the neighborhood for uh, most of my time in New York, which is 20 years. Uh, I know every goddamn bar, be it a nice one or a dive, uh, around us, and I can point you where you need to go. However, you've already stumbled in here. Do you want to get on board with what I do? Look around; it's crowded, it's packed. You know it's got four and a half stars. Uh, let's deal. Uh, and normally I can rope them in for at least one round. And I, I got to tell you, and I tell my staff all the time. Uh, I know for a fact, a fact, there are many, many people who have come to Amori Margo and had a drink that they fucking hated. Uh, but they had a great time. And they leave Amori Margo and they go and they tell their friend who they they know based on what they that friend has told them would like my bar. They didn't not like my bar. They just didn't like what I served. But they had a good time. We showed them hospitality, and we were nice to them and cordial. And they walk out of there and go, that drink was not for me. But you know who going like that? That my, Tim. Tim would love that place. Let's tell Tim about that place. Right? So that's what we have to accomplish all the time. It's just show people well, a good time. 
you kind of got this uh, natural selection going where you're, you're you're hitting your target crowd just by um, sure. other people wandering in. Yeah, for sure. Sure, and, and, don't, and, for, and don't forget uh, that applies to, of course, the, the people who had a drink that they probably didn't like, and they smiled and they suffered through it and they paid us and they tipped us and they walked out of there, uh, and they had a great time. That also applies to those groups of people who do come in and and they say a mojito, a cosmo, and all that shit I just said. Uh, I'm swearing more because I've been drinking. And I go, I got none of that. Where can I send you? And I send them somewhere else. That same group of people still might go to that place that I sent them to have a better time. Cause I, I want you to have a good time. You can have it here or somewhere else. I don't care. I want you to have a good time. So I send them somewhere to have a good time. And again, they say that place was weird, but you know who would like that? Tim, let's tell Tim about that place. Right. So fucking, I get Tim out of the deal. Right. So I never give and up. on. I mean, you know, and, there, and just the, like you said, the hospitality aspect of it, you know, you're getting taken care of. It's a, it's a tiny little bar. It's a beautiful place to be, whether or not you want the bottles that are on that shelf, you know, it's, you're, you're not going to forget your time uh, at, at the bar. So, I mean, you it's still a, won, <laughs> you know, you just still got a, the job done to the best of your ability. It's a New York experience, you know, uh, um, you know, there's a phrase here in New York, the New York moment. Um, uh, you know, if you're a New Yorker or not a New Yorker, you come to New York and you you experience New York moments. And to walk into a Mori Margo automatically is a New York moment. To decide that you want to stay there and enjoy what we do is, uh, you know, pushing that even further. But just to walk in, you know, my team used to get frustrated in the beginning. And they'd say, uh, had so many bounce outs. That's what we call them. People who walk in, look at the menu and walk out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say, please make sure you're saying goodnight to all of them. Thanks for coming. Uh, We call them brave enough to stay, uh, brave enough to come in, but not brave enough to stay. And I say, listen, again, if it was a four, a group of four that came in, maybe one of them was kind of curious, but his other three friends were absolutely not. So it was time to go. But if you remind him that, that he had a good time here, even though he didn't get a single drink, we got him water. We got him a menu. They didn't order a drink. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, He might say to himself, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go back there next week with Tim. We already established Tim likes the place. Um, <laughs> right. So that, that, guy, that guy, one of those four is going to come back or he's going to tell somebody. So, you know, we got, there's no cost us nothing to be hospitable. Cost us nothing to say, thank you. Cost us nothing to wish you well. Uh, maybe it's not right for you at all, but I think of most of the time, maybe it's just not right for you right now. I sure. get it. I get it. Yeah, right. You don't know where they are in their cocktail journey or their or their liquor journey. And so, you know, as 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 and I know this place, well, <laughs> prior to the pandemic, you know, you could get quite packed in there. Um, and you know, we're talking about like, you know, there is a level of education um that you kind of need to give to the guests as they're ordering a lot of these bottles because they're also quite different, but you don't want to be the the dick. You know, that's like, well, excuse me, this was from, you know, 1773. And, you know, there's it's kind of a, a delicate line that you've got to tow uh, to, to educate so they understand and can appreciate. And then also, you know, don't feel like you were the pretentious dick with the, you know, handlebar mustache and no offense to handlebar mustaches out there. But uh, I mean, again, you know, this is. Is audio and not video. You know, anybody, anybody who's ever seen me, I hope, can realize immediately that I am not uh, pretentious. I may be gruff. Uh, 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 I was written about once in an article uh, where, where, the, where the author said, uh, uh, the surly but warm bartender. Yeah, that's me. I, I said, fuck, I'll put that on my tombstone when I die. I am surly, I'm surly, but I'm warm. Like, I want to take care of you, but I'm going to do it in a in a curt and, and quick way because that room is small and packed. And I got a lot of, I got a lot to do. 
And as a guest, I think it's a lot of misunderstanding uh, of your personality as well. Like, I, I mean, you're kind of just low key uh, to the point, you know, um, my wife, the same thing. She's like, oh, well, he he just seemed like he was under, interested in talking to me. I was like, no, no, no. He's just he's quiet to the point. You know, he's just, you know, and, and I was like, and, you know, she's not true. I'm a. I'm a keen observer of the human condition, and I uh, I, I run a ship that's uh, efficient and busy, and I want to take care of people, uh, but I need to do it in the way that's going to be the best for the business. And if sometimes that comes off as gruff, then well, so you know, it. though I, that's actually the opposite of what I've ever found being in your bar because I I always find that like once you know someone has your attention behind the bar. They've got your complete undivided attention at that moment. I will say this, though, Ed, for for any uh, maybe young bartenders who are out there listening. um, They do. You're right. Once someone has my attention, they have it. However, I will caveat by saying I don't lean over the bar and say, oh, well, bitters are a tincture and potable and all that shit I just said. I lean back and I look directly at the person who asked me the question, but I'm talking to the whole room. Ah. So this uh, I do as a, a method of self-preservation, first of all, because mm. I'm, I'm going to get that question three or four times on any given night. Uh, the morning. Uh, and if I lean in and whisper it, then the guy three seats down and we don't have seats, but, you know, three humans down five minutes later, he's going to be like, what's the difference between tincture and potable bitters? And now I got to do it again. So I'm always, of course, giving my attention to the single person, but I'm always speaking to the room. Mm. And I can get away with that because my room is so small. I was going to say, though, if you speak, you're speaking to the room. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, diaphragm and literally posturing. You know, I teach my entire team the same thing. Talk to the room, uh, you know, be personable and be engaging. But but when when appropriate, talk to the room. You know, if, if someone says, you know, they ask me something personal or they ask me something about, I don't know, where's the bathroom? I'm like, well, it's right behind you. It's a tiny room. Just turn your head. Um but, you know, if they're asking me something that I think anybody else in the room might be interested in, I'm talking to the fucking room. So when you we talked about this in the last episode, and so I don't want to like retread on um, on some of that ground as far as your history, being a chef and making the jump over into the bar world. But um, I, what I don't think that we discussed was how you kind of got obsessed with bitters, Amari, and like in that particular vein, we talked about just kind of jumping into a bar, but it's a very um, interesting niche to jump into. And now I think it's, you know, it's trendy for bartenders to be like, oh, I love Amari and and this, well, but you know, it, it took it took the work of a lot of people like you to be able to do that. And, and, you know, uh, guys with house Alpins, you know, out there pushing it. And, you know, I, oh, I yeah. love all uh, over there. And the team from house Alpins, very integral. Of course, Brad Thomas Parsons, a spearhead with his books, bitters and Amaro. Like, yeah, this is, uh, this is getting, getting it into, into the hands and into the, uh, on the eyes of uh, lots of people. Um, so where, at- the, where the hooks get into you? Yeah, you're asking me, like, how did I go from chefing into this and specifically this part of this? So I left, right, the, yeah. I left the back of the house and I went to the front of the house. Uh, I was the research and technical chef for the show Good Eats on the Food Network. Um, I was an instructor at the New England Culinary Institute. I was a butcher and charcuteur. I made uh, sausages and uh, smoked meats and uh, all that sort of jazz. I was an ice carver, random. Um, <laughs> random. I did it, whatever. You know, the easiest way to carve a block of ice to look like an elephant? is to just take away all the pieces that don't look like an elephant. Um, 
That's that's how I taught that class. Um, I, I think I've heard some of Renaissance carvers or sculptors mention that technique. Same, it's the exact same. Uh, it's, it's a fluid. Uh, it's a fluid medium, though. It's going to move on you. Um, literally, yeah, literally. <laughs> uh, side note: uh, Any ice carving that I or any of my students ever produced, uh, the rule was we produce it, we put it out on the buffet or wherever it's going to go to show off, and then afterwards we destroy it. Uh, because Ooh, nice. uh, because it's going to destroy itself, and the fact that you made <laughs> right. you made it, so you take it out. Um, <laughs> so you know you'd spend a couple hours making an Eiffel Tower or a dolphin jumping over a sunshine or whatever, and you'd watch it. That's the thing; it shimmers and it moves while it sits on the on the buffet because it's melting slowly and it looks like it's in motion. It's very lovely, and I love them. Um, and then when it's all said and done, we take it out back and bash it with a bat. Um, Anyway, how did I get into this? So I was a chef, like you mentioned, um, and and uh, and then I was offered an opportunity to get behind a bar. It was supposed to be a short-term situation. It turned into three years behind that particular bar. Uh, and then um, at first I went nuts, just like I did, I think, when I was a chef. But when you think about being a chef, you understand, or even operating a restaurant, you understand something that I feel like bartenders maybe overlook, especially young ones. And me, me too in this scenario that I'm about to describe. But don't forget that typically when you walk into a restaurant, they're focused on one cuisine. So what makes you think that behind your bar you should have a swizzle and a, a you know a Queen's Park swizzle and a, a you know perfect old fashioned and a craft beer and a pet nat wine and like no 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 figure it out and get one. So at first when I got behind the bar, I went crazy because I was learning. Right, I was in gathering mode, gather gather gather, open mind, zen. So I'm making everything I can find. I'm finding books. I'm, um, this is this is 20 you know years ago. Actually, December marks 20 years I came to New York, and that's the first time I got behind the bar. Um, you know, I'm finding blogs, uh, early versions of blogs. Uh, you know, Morgenthaler coming a couple of years later, stuff like that. I'm all over it, uh, and I'm all over the place. Broad strokes. You know, my my wings are spread as wide as they can be. But then I start realizing, like, what are the drinks that I enjoy the most? What are the drinks that I like drinking the most? What are the drinks I like making the most? What are the and it starts to narrow down and narrow down and narrow down. And where we came to was like, even back in that first three years behind the bar, there was a guy named Charlie who came in almost every single day and he wanted a, a Negroni made with Puntimes. And I, I think that was kind of what started me off. I realized that oh, my palate after being a chef, I think for twelve years, has pushed me towards the side that is savory. That is rich. That is unctuous. That is, you know, sliding across my tongue because uh, it's a stirred drink instead of dancing across my tongue because it's a shaken drink. Not engaging all my, uh, you know, or rather engaging all of my taste buds instead of not engaging them all. Um, and so I slowly whittled to the place where these are the drinks I like the most. Now, of course, that didn't mean that that's all I could do, right? This is, you know, Amori Margo is only about to turn ten, so this is this is way before that. But yeah. I, I learned that those are the drinks that I enjoyed the most. And then, of course, those are the drinks I became sort of, quote, unquote, specialized in. And then I realized, oh, what are bitters? What is this Amaro? Capari's an Amaro? I don't even know what Amaro is. I drink Capari. Oh, and then you start going down that rabbit hole and that trail. <laughs> and then you start realizing, oh, there are so many, but we can't get them here in America. So let's seek out the ones we can get. And then we start doing that. And then, you know, you take something that became a... Uh, um, an interest and you move it into the zone of hobby and then you move that into the zone of, uh, you know, uh, it's, now it's my job. Uh, and then you move it into the zone of, no, now it's my business. Uh, and then, you know, you're trapped forever and people only think you do the one thing. Do you think that your culinary backgrounds went like, I, I guess led you towards that, 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 um, rabbit hole of, of, 
accepting of, of bitter flavors oh. more really than others because that's something that we think about when we're cooking a lot more so than people were at that time in drinks oh, you know for I sure mean, kind of balancing all those things for sure for sure you want to have you know uh, you want to express uh, lots of different uh, flavor and texture notes in in, in every uh, plate of food that you're making and that includes leaning down the road of uh, bitter or salty or savory, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or crunchy or smooth or, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, cold or hot. Like there's plenty of ways to play uh, and work. Um, and so this is very similar in the world of drinks with one kind of major exception. You don't have a lot of drinks that have, you know, texture. Uh, frozen drinks do. Not a lot of frozen drinks in the Amari world. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. Um, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is uh, your question. Yeah, absolutely. Being a chef has laid the foundation for everything that I do right. in, in behind the bar, even though now I've been behind the bar for more than twice the amount of time I was behind the, the stove. Yeah. I was just thinking because, you know, when I travel particularly into Asia, I mean, those, there are a lot of dishes that are, are based around incredibly bitter ingredients and it's not something that I, I, as I'm guess at some point it was an acquired taste, but like you said, with children and broccoli, you know, but they're uh, from a very young age, kind of accustomed to things like bitter melon. Uh, and different. You, you know, what's crazy that you mentioned that um, I've pointed it out numerous times to my team. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of Asian, um, uh, you know, uh, acolytes, people who love our bar who are Asian. And I think I totally address it to that. Uh, it's because that cuisine, um, which is huge and broad, of course. And when I say Asian, I mean Pan-Asian, et cetera. Sure. Uh, China, Japan, Thailand, et cetera, all of it. They um, they are more um, uh, accustomed to slash pleased by the variation in flavor, right? Americans, we are definitely like sweet and salty. Like that's where we want to go kind of all the time. Um, but the, the that Asian palate, we see lots of, of those. And Indians, Asians and Indians, which is a sub, yeah. not a sub-Asian, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We see, yeah, still Asia. We see a lot of of those guests come in, and I and I I revel in it. I love it. Like I'm like, yeah, that's perfect because you don't have to sell it. I have to tell them what it is. They're like, we right. heard about these plays, and I'm like, what'd you hear? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm putting my fingers together like Montgomery Burns. You know, excellent. Uh, good to see you. Uh, have you heard of Chinar? Oh, you have. Okay. Well, what about Car tomorrow? All right, let's climb the ladder, um, and we can take them anywhere we want to go. Uh, and they're they're willing and they're excited. You know, I think that uh, it's tougher. Americans, uh, this, the the Anglo palate is is much more. Um, uh, it's, it's, the, the, that palate is kind of pussy. <laughs> like we only want <laughs> yeah. only want sweet and salty. You know, we only want like give me uh, maybe a little bit of spicy, which isn't actually a flavor. But you know, uh, we, we we want the, uh. you know, the spicy margarita with salt on the rim, or we want like a you know cosmopolitan. Um, maybe mm-hmm. maybe we want a dirty martini, uh, but even that it's just salty, right? Um, you know. And then now we get the 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 American palate, who's they're they're basically lying to you and to me when they say, yeah, but make make it for me, but not too sweet. And you're like bullshit. You want it sweeter. You want it, you want it sweeter. Well, you, you, know, you want it sweeter. You wouldn't have ordered it. <laughs> well, the, the thing I always in my response to that, of course, behind the scenes, and like. Of course, because having a tiki bar, everybody walks up and like, uh, what's the least sweet thing on the menu? I'm like, listen, uh, we live in the fattest fucking country on the pl- in, <laughs> on the planet. Don't be telling me that you don't like sweet things. We know you do. Look at you. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm not saying like I'm attacking one particular person. I'm overweight myself. Yeah. But I'm like, we're the fattest country in the world for a reason. And it's not because we hate sugar. <laughs> you know. 
Like, you know, the, the same person that's going to ask for a cocktail that's not too sweet is going to go suck down four Diet Cokes or not Diet Cokes, but Mountain, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But it it does. It's like, come on, it doesn't make any damn bit of sense. But, you know, I, it just I was thinking about that, you know, spending time in Southeast Asia, uh, uh, you know, well, not as often as I'd like. But, you know, uh, there's was one particular soup that we we eat quite a bit. It's almost like a, I would say it's almost like a loose sausage. That, that it's a stuffed uh, bitter melon dish into kind of a clear broth. Um, pretty definitely peasant food. Um, but it's fantastic. And, and that's about as much as I can handle the bitter melon. I, I enjoy it in, in a very balanced way, but it's it can be quite overwhelming. Oh, sure. Uh, I, I don't for one second think that even even the indigenous peoples of those areas uh, want anything out of balance. That's the thing about cuisine and drinks right. and anything we consume. The What we want to consume is a balance. Um, so, uh, but but I think again, the American palate is way out of whack. We're 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 teetering hard to one side. We want sweet and salty. That's kind of all we crave, um, and it's a shame. It's a shame because it, it means we are ruling out a lot of stuff uh, out of hand, right. and we're not willing yeah. to say to ourselves, "Well, as I said before, bitter is an acquired taste. Maybe if I try this today." So when people come in and say, "Oh, I tried Fernet Branca." Months ago, years ago, I hated it. It was too bitter. And I said, well, did you try it again? Well, no, I hated it. And I said, well, yeah. again, bitter is an acquired taste. Try it again. Here, I'll pour them a little half shot. Try it right now. I know you're going to hate it right now. But come back in three weeks, and I'll give you another one. Come back mm -hmm. in three weeks after that, and I'll give you another one. I'm betting that we'll get to a place where you'll be like, fuck, this is pretty good. Because it's still you're having to do an end run around your brain, which is telling you this is bad for me, before you let your tongue say, I kind of like it. Your tongue starts to say, well, I kind of like this. And the brain's like, fuck you, shut up. This is bad for you. Yeah. Right? So you got to. Well, you back up to the, I, gosh, it was like late 90s, maybe early 2000s. If you remember, I believe uh, one of, well, I not believe, it was one of the domestic beer companies put on a series of commercials on television that was effectively attacking uh, Boston Beer Company because they were kind of like the first, like, quote, microbrew that was out there that was hoppy. And they yeah. were like, oh, bitter beer face. If you remember that, it was like, yeah, oh, yeah. come drink our shit because it's got bitter beer face. And so we've kind of like had this, uh, <laughs> this perception that bitter is bad. And, you know, and on top of that, I, I have found uh, over the last, you know, 15 years of owning restaurants that um, it's just, and it's so disheartening. And I think it's just, uh, uh, it's disappointing for me because again, I have a foreign wife. And so I always feel like I'm trying to defend my culture or whatever it is here. And you know, of how picky adult Americans are. And just like you said, compared they to tried the, it once compared and they'll the rest, never try it again. Compared to the rest of the world. Yes. An adult American is a very picky eater and drinker. However, Ed, I would say to you, stay true to your uh, ethos of the desire to educate someone. Don't be uh, always disappointed when they're not willing to jump on board with that education, and sure. be and be aware that even what you just said is an uh, is a is a great mark in the move forward in the American palate um, that people are willing to take on bitters. Right? Look at like you just said twenty years ago, two thousand, uh, when hoppy beers were like kind of a new thing, and now it's like I can't go to a bar and, and find a no. single. I can't find a single IPA. They're all doubles now, right? <laughs> yeah. So those guys are going to... Oh, also, also the American way, right? Hey, we've gotten used to this yeah, thing. What happens if we quadruple it? <laughs> turn it up. Some is good. A lot's better. Um, right. 
So, you know, those same, that same crew is my hope is that they're, they're going to jump the fence and go into the, you know, the spirits world and say, oh man, we, we cranked it up as far as we could with beer. Let's go drink some Amaro. And then the the people behind them and they'll always be like a trail, you know, there's always, it's always coming. I tell the team all the time, uh, you know, about the bar and I, I have to think about it for myself about the book, which as you mentioned, is two years old, but like. Uh, you know, I thought that the book would sell a bunch at first and then it would slowly go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has not done that. It sold a bunch at first and then it dipped a little and then it's back up to uh, the same. I only get paid twice a year. My my check that just came in January was the same as the first check I ever got. So we're back up there. And ha- I think, how is that? Oh, same thing I used to say at the bar is true about my book. Same thing I'll say to you about your bar and every bar out there. Every single day, a whole bunch of people turn 21. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a whole new audience every day that hasn't been in there, that doesn't know. And that's what it becomes difficult, right? One of the most difficult things I talk about about being a bartender is not the long hours, is not being on my feet, it's not having to eat over the garbage can in five minutes because I got no time. It's not, um, you know, missing holidays. It's not any of that shit. It's not, uh, you know, not having uh, holiday time off. It's, it's none of that shit. What it is is trying to remain unjaded. And the reason that you have to try and remain unjaded is what I is also tied to what I just said. Every single day, there's a whole host of people who've never even been to a bar that are going to walk into your bar because they're 21 now and say, I don't know what the fuck this is. (laughs) Every day, as I mentioned earlier, I get asked uh, when when we're in business, I get asked at least three times a night, what are bitters? That's my entire bar. Right. That'd be like working at a tire store and having every single day someone coming in and going, what are tires? Listen, man, if you don't know what tires are, why are you here? Okay, that's what I would say if I worked at the tire store. But I can't say that in this place because they've never gotten to try them. Mm. So I have right. to start over every day. Now, there's something about that that is maddening and frustrating and will uh, drive you to the point of anger and and, and self-medication. Uh, but there's also something about that that is zen and relaxing. And you can create a speak and you can create uh, a phraseology. You can impart that upon upon your team. And we all have this singular voice that we put out to people when they ask these questions that we've heard over and over and over again. And we have to remember to ourselves, I may have heard this question a thousand times, but it is likely that the person asking this question is asking it for the first time. Yeah. And I that's kind of, and I've said it about this show uh, any number of times, this is kind of the reset. And like when you start to get burned out and you're like, you know, you're feeling, uh, God damn, I don't want to answer these questions anymore. You're feeling jaded. Uh, you know, this is kind of my reset. Like, I mean, you and I can have a conversation. I'm like, I get really genuine. I like want to head over to my cabinet over here and just like pull out all of my bitters and like do a giant tasting. And I really yeah. enjoy when, when somebody new and fresh comes up to my bar and says, you know, I, I haven't had a rum since college and we drank, you know, a handle of Ron Rico and, you know, yeah, and I burned myself. And I, I feel like I can never right. have rum again. Well, that's bullshit. Right. And, and I love those, those opportunities because I feel like each one is kind of a, a it's a new opportunity and, and everybody responds in a very different way to, you know, how you explain. And you've got to be careful and, and be able to read the room and make sure you don't come off like a pretentious prick, and, and, you know. And Yeah, there's something like, to be said. Oh, well, for, you don't know this, you don't. <laughs> there, there's something to be said for having a pat answer that is pretty rehearsed and the ability to uh, um, shape it and form it. Uh, without it sounding rehearsed uh, over and over again. 
I don't have to say the exact same words or in the exact same way or the exact same inflection or the exact same body motions. I can still get my message across over and over in different ways, and I can still be succinct and uh, deliver a clear and present message. But you have to, again, you know, read that room. I, I, I love thinking about this. You know, People come in not just to Amori Margo. Let's skip Amori Margo for now um, or maybe for the rest of the night. Um, you know, when I work at other bars, people will come in all the time. And even I have friends. I bet you have friends. But everybody listening has a friend who's like, I can't drink tequila anymore. I had a bad experience with tequila. Mm. Tequila ruined me. And all I can think to myself is number one selling cocktail worldwide for the past 15 years in a row is the fucking margarita. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, yeah, may, yeah. you may think you hate tequila, but everybody fucking loves it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Arthur always had his great response when someone said, oh, I, I had a I had a terrible experience with tequila or mezcal more often than not. It was like, I, had, I had a terrible experience with mezcal. And I don't drink anymore. And his response was always, you didn't have a terrible experience with mezcal. Mezcal had a terrible experience with you. <laughs> sure, sure. There's that. And I would also go, uh, you know, again, I always use culinary examples. Um, you know, uh, if, in fact, uh, you had been served uh, – let's use steak steak uh poorly your entire life uh you know a bad cut uh too sinewy full of full of fatty tissue um poorly butchered um uh, unevenly cooked or overcooked uh, chewy etc whatever if if all the steak you'd ever had had been poor then you'd mm. say i fucking hate steak well there's plenty of evidence out there that steak is fucking great <laughs> You didn't hate steak. You got steak poorly. Right. Right. So when you right. say, I hate tequila, and I say, well, when did you drink tequila? And you're like, well, when I was 19, and I stole it out of my dad's cabinet, and I, <laughs> right. and I, and I chugged it, uh, you know, and then I fucking, you know, jumped in the lake and, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, you had a bad experience with tequila because you, were, you served yourself poorly. Mm -hmm. let, let me serve it to you well. Let me show you what it's like when you get it nice. Right. And a lot of times those stories always lend up with that. You know, I drank a bottle of this or I drank a bottle of that. And we're like, well, no kidding. You had a terrible time, you know? Right. That's, I, and you I know, speaking of the edibles from earlier, it's the same. There was the famously the woman from the New York Times that went out to Denver right after Colorado legalized recreational cannabis and ate something like 400 milligrams of THC and had a nightmare of a, a night and wrote this scathing review about legalization of cannabis. Right. And, you know, the response was like, well, you wouldn't go into a bar on your 21st birthday and drink two fifths of liquor. Right. You know? Right. What, what, what are you thinking? You did this. You, know? to you. you did this to you. You know, you've been kind of on the forefront of pushing all these, you know, things that the, the bitters, the small bar uh, and become this legendary bar for this 240 square feet. You know, I'll, I'll give you the accolades. I'll give you the pat on the back because I mean, it, it, what you've accomplished has always been. You know, before I met you, I mean, I very much I, I still look up to you. But you know, um, you know, you were just like kind of this figure that is like, wow, look what this gentleman has done in his life. And so, you know, as I've looked through your Instagram feed, and and, and by the way, anybody out there, and we will have show notes. Uh, you've got to check it out because he's been doing AMAs a lot lately. Yep. He will respond to you. Uh, I mean, you respond, you, you give people recipes and you're always um, encouraging everybody to show their work. You know, if you give them a recipe, want to see pictures of it. Show the work. That's right. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk on your, uh, your kind of weekend AMAs uh, about scoffers. And I think that we're really just starting to kind of hit the, 
tip of the iceberg as far as kind of widespread adoption. I, I don't know about widespread, but you know uh, where the average consumer is starting to kind of uh, get on board and understand what this is. I mean, you want to talk a little bit about what a scoff is and and, and why you feel like that's a um, I don't want to say a trend, but I, I think something that uh, people are going to start considering at home more often. Oh, sure. I think people at home should consider it. It's the easiest style of cocktail to have on hand. I won't say they're the easiest to make. They're the easiest to have on hand. What is a scaffa? Scaffa is a room temperature cocktail or ambient temperature cocktail. Uh, the word itself, uh, scaffa, is a, a kind of a, a loose slang Italian term that means um, – cabinet or pantry is a pantry cocktail so the idea is you open up your pantry you got some bottles in there you mix a few things in a glass and you drink them no ice no dilution typically no dilution you can't add dilution if you want by adding literally some water to the to the mix um but served at room temperature so this is like drinking something neat if you enjoy drinking bourbon neat if you enjoy drinking tequila neat which i'm drinking now i, I ran out of rum sorry i'm drinking tequila now <laughs> and when I say ran out, I don't mean I ran out. Surely there's, surely behind me there's a shitload of room, but uh, nothing open, and I'm, I'm alone. If I open something by myself, I'll end up drinking it all. Um, again, you're, you're, I, I forgot your guests can't see the video. <laughs> just, just, just you and me. It's just, just, there. It's just there. you and me. But behind me, there's a shelf full of booze and books, and my Harley Davidson uh, gas tank sitting way up on the top. Um, oh, I see yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, 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 black and orange, man. Classic colors. Uh, so uh, scafas are, um, you know, if you enjoy drinking anything neat, if you enjoy sipping on Amari neat or, or tequila like I am or what I just said, um, why wouldn't you think to yourself, well, what if I took some things that I enjoy drinking neat and mixed them together and drank a mixed thing neat? That it seems logical to me. Um, they've been around for a long time. They're finally getting some uh, better traction. I uh, I would say 90% of the menus at Amori Margo, which is only 10 items long, uh, have always had at least one scafa on the well. One we never we would never do two with only 10 items on the menu. Uh, has always had a scafa, um, and also uh, you know of course we make them uh, we make the ones we've made in the past or we make ones for you all minute. Um, they're delightful and delicious. And again, uh, as the home bartender, what a great way to make yourself a drink without having to do any prep or have anything else on hand. If you got some bottles on hand uh, and you can mix up a scafa, good for you. Um, and I'd like to point out just real quickly, Blake uh, Walker, my former head bartender to Maury Margo, he had to leave during the pandemic um, to pursue other things. And one of those other things he's pursued is what's called day and night cocktails. Day and night is a company or not, it's not a company. Uh, he's doing scafas that he's selling uh, through uh, hand delivery here in New York and also mail, mail order delivery. Um, you can find them on Instagram, day and night cocktails. Each month he creates two different scafas and sells them in the, uh, uh, little bottles that serve two each, uh, and then a bigger bottle that serves, I think, uh, eight, and then even a larger bottle that serves 16. Um, <clears throat> and they are fucking great, and they're meant to complement one another. One's meant to be lighter and brighter and more something you drink in the daytime with the sun still up, and one's a little bit more dark and brooding than you drink in the nighttime when the sun's gone down. Uh, but scafas are um, a category that I have embraced for a long time because I am a big fan of drinking things neat. Um, you know, I... Uh, I'm on record. <laughs> it still seems weird when I say it out loud, but I'm on record as saying like cocktails are kind of weird. <laughs> um, nobody, no, nobody ever in the history of man has put anything in a bottle and thought to himself, I hope this goes good with other stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. If they put it in a bottle, they thought to themselves, this is done. If they thought something was missing, they would have added it to the bottle before they sealed it. Mm. So I drink most things neat. Um, 
because uh, I, I want to get to know them. I want to get to know what the distiller or maker wanted to present mm-hmm. to me. So Scotha cocktails are just a, an extension of that. Um, one of my favorites is one that, that is in the book. Uh, it's called uh, Just the Paperwork. And for years, years, at the end of the night after I'd finished the bar, broken it down, burned all the ice, burned all the ice. And this is important. Burn the ice. There's no more ice. And clean down. And now I'm sitting down alone in the bar. Everyone's gone to do the paperwork. And I would make myself a scaffa that I ended up getting to a place where I liked it enough to put it on the menu. And I called it just the paperwork because nothing's left to do but just the paperwork, uh, which is cognac and um, uh, cookie Americano and, and uh, a bit of strega um, to give it some sweetness uh, and, uh, and a little splash of water um, and, and some orange bitters. Uh, what a what a delightful sip at the end of my evening while I'm doing the paperwork. Scafas are, I think, a, I wouldn't say unexplored, but they're they haven't been explored as much as they should. Sure. And um, I, think, I think you and I, Ed, should should write a whole scuff of book. I think that sounds like a fantastic idea. You said that that, it that sounds, it sounds fantastic for the research alone, my friend, for the research alone. That's right. I know. And, man, you know, I, you talked about having uh, those bottles behind you. And I'm just like I'm sitting and looking at my my unicorn cabinet because I got into the it just it got worse and worse where I was like, Oh, I'll never see this bottle again. And now it's just, I've got, you know, 120 bottles of things that I need to share with people that can appreciate. So, and I have about four or five friends that come over in on a semi-regular basis or used to yep. before the pandemic. And that where I don't feel bad, you know, pouring off the last bottle that any of us will ever see. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Nico Palazzi has always been, uh, been kind to share some things that I'll never see again. So, you know, listen, it's all meant to be shared. That, that's the other tragedy. Right. That's the other right. tragedy about uh, COVID is we've been trapped in our, uh, you know, in our, in our own little bubbles of domiciles and pods. And hopefully you've got a pod that, that you, that you enjoy sharing stuff with and they enjoy uh, yeah. appreciating yeah. it with you, uh, you, and of course you, the listener. Um, but yeah, it, overarchingly, the thing that I have been struggling with the most, uh, is, uh, during the pandemic is, um, my lack of ability to be around people and share things with them. None of mm. the, that's the thing about uh, alcohol. Yeah. Uh, it, it was meant to be drank. Uh, it was meant to, to be drank as it is because the, the maker put it in a bottle when he thought it was done, but overwhelmingly without question, it was meant to be shared. Yeah. I'm going to miss the days of like being able to literally share a cocktail, you know, when everybody at the table gets something different yeah, from a new mine, bar. Taste mine, taste mine. Yeah. yeah right. you just pass them around. Well, literally, I, th- I think it was, well, I was at Enoa Haley in Atlanta. Um, right as, as, as COVID-19 hit last year it was actually the only Tiki event that actually ended up happening in, in 2020, right at the beginning of the year. And I mean, nobody knew that at the time. My wife was very much against me going, uh, on an airplane or traveling anywhere mm-hmm. um, for anything. And I said, well, hon, the CDC is in Atlanta. If it was bad, you know, they wouldn't even let us come. And several of the photos that we took over the weekend, you know, I mean, uh, Beach Bum was down there and, you know, uh, Jason Alexander from Devil's Reef and all that. And um, But I ended up hanging out with Lee Edwards um, because he lives in Atlanta, uh, at least when he's not on the road for House Alpins. So he met us over at Trader Vic's. It was like me and Sven Kirsten, and, and um, Dave Hansen, our carver, and, and and Lee, and we um, we've got this great photo of us sharing a communal drink, but uh, it it 
I didn't get it up on on to social media until about three weeks later, four weeks later. Very inopportune time to put up sure. a drinking a shareable drink. I got so many caustic remarks, like "How dare you!" Right? I'm like, oh, no, this, this happened ago, before. This weeks right. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't know, yeah, you know. I, was, and, I mean, honestly, thank God none of us actually ended up getting sick because I mean, how insane! Right. <laughs> Timing, you know, good good fortune. Yeah. So, I mean, you uh, talked at the beginning as we were getting ready to, um, you know, sit down and, and do the episode. Uh, you are talking to me on a laptop, which is uh, a new thing for you. Yeah, bar. Uh, even though it's not a new laptop, you said it's what a decade old. It's, it's older old. than your bar. <laughs> it is. It's Eleven years old. I borrowed it. <laughs> but <clears throat> you, you wrote uh, your book. I'm just here for the drinks. Uh, famously on your phone. Um, uh, and the subway and various other places uh, with your thumbs turned out really well. Um, so you have another book in the works or, uh, you know, what, what's been um, kind of on your agenda to keep yourself busy? Well, to talk about um, my iPhone, uh, I wrote two books on it. I wrote, I'm just here for the drinks. And I have a little holiday book I wrote called let's get, Blitz. oh, let's get Blitzen. Yeah, let's get Blitzen. Yeah. It's a little um, book of holiday cocktails uh, and it's cheeky and fun and goofy stocking stuffer size you know it's only uh it's a a paperback um but i it's funny to note that i also you know until last year i I had uh um you know until this time last year i had five businesses i also have a weekly uh, podcast and live radio broadcast called the speakeasy on heritage radio network um uh, and i did it all on my iphone i don't i'm not a computer person um so uh so yeah, it's funny to me to have this laptop. I borrowed it to do this with you, and but I also I've also been using it for a couple of months now. I borrowed it for a long term um, because I've been selling my books from home. Um, I bought I got the computer. I bought a printer so I can print you know labeling and packaging and all that shit. And ship my books from home and personalize them, which has been a great joy to me. The 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 people who've responded and bought the books for me, it's been great to have them, you know, tell me the names of the people and why they want to get a book for this person. So I'll write something personal in there. It's really it's really charming, and I I'm I feel very fortunate to be able to do it. Um, we were uh, literally going into uh, photography for my next book, uh, which was titled. Um, so I've got, I'm just here for the drinks. The next one was, was drinking, uh, sorry, drinks with, with friends, drinks with friends. Um, the nature of that book, um, dictated that I had reached out to, uh, many of my friends, uh, uh, domestically and globally, uh, to say, uh, you know, what is a technique that you've inspired or championed or, or, or really used and made it your own? Um, and what's a drink that you have that's in, that uses it. And then I'll take that information and print that, of course, with a bio about you and, and maybe your bar or whatever. And then I'll use your technique to make a drink. So your drink, my drink, drinks with friends, you know, so like Jeff Morgenthaler obviously talked about the barrel aging and Negroni. I created a recipe with a barrel aged cocktail as well, um, which I call the double barrel because I put it in two barrels because, you know, one is good and two is better. Um, and, uh, you know, write about Clyde Common and his time there and all the things. Uh, the unfortunate truth, though, is, again, we were right at photography stage when the pandemic hit. Uh, and then we looked back over the copy that I had written uh, as time kept marching on. And we saw that many of the places and people that I wrote about were, well, the people were still there, but the places weren't. So we've scrapped that book. It, we held on to it for as long as we thought it was viable. And then we ditched it. So 
a lot of uh, thumbing on the old phone there to to write a book that's never probably going to see the light of day. However, um, now my publisher has reached back out to me within the past couple of weeks to say it's time to start thinking about writing another book. Uh, and uh, again, as you've mentioned uh, across the, this this uh, podcast, and, and I'm sure we talked about it in the last one, I am known quite a bit for obviously bitters and amaro, but I'm also really well known for hospitality. So we have tentatively tentatively titled the next book Southern Hospitality. You know, a play on Southern Hospitality, which I'm also Southern. Um, so Southern Hospitality, uh, and we're going to create an outline and, and and generate a book based on hospitality and how we can. That's super. And how we that can, and how we, um, how we can extend ourselves hospitably um, through the bar itself, uh, or, mm. or the home user can read the book and understand hospitality in their home and, and generate that. There, there aren't many books out there uh, in in that topic. I mean, the one that comes to Meyer obviously is is Danny Myers uh, setting the table. Mm-hmm. And, and other than that, I mean, what I guess Trotter, you know, uh, Charlie Trotter's got his, um, but there's, there's what do. <laughs> you know, so yeah, we're, I'm going to try and focus on, um, you know, uh, being hospitable. Of course, will be at the core of every uh, entry in the book, um, chapter-wise. Uh, it'll also be, uh, you know, at least addressed, I think, in some way with each cocktail. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about, um, you know, many many aspects of hospitality that can be achieved in in, in the business sense uh, uh, mm. or just in the in the home uh, aspect as well. So Southern Hospitality, hopefully coming soon. Super name too, man. So <laughs> we've got a long list of th- uh, of places to find you here as we wrap up today. Sure. Um, so where, where is, I mean, I know the book's a bit available everywhere, but I always try to like point people into the right direction where you get the most. Yeah. Uh, where the author gets the most return on that. And I know that's very rarely Amazon. So uh. thank you. No, uh, Jeff, Jeff keeps most of it. Um, when he sells, when he sells, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, he, when he sells it, frankly, in a weird that's okay. way, he's number two. Now we have to get him back above Elon in, in, a, in a weird way, in a weird way. Somehow when he sells my book, I lose money. Um, <laughs> it's not exactly true, but it's not, not true. Not far from the truth. Yeah. Uh, the best way to get my book is uh, go and, and find me on Instagram or Twitter uh, or, or, or Facebook, uh, and I have a direct link to me uh, in my um, bios or whatever, uh, links in bio, uh, and you can get it from me. And, and, and there, the bonus round is that I sell it to you at the same retail price, but I also uh, personalize it for you. So it won't just be a signed copy with my signature, which I never do just my signature. I always write a little quip, you know, here's to you, here's how. Uh, Read responsibly. That's a good one that people laugh at. Um, but if you if you order directly from me, I'll put your name in there. So it'll say, Ed, thanks so much for your support. I appreciate it. Read responsibly, Southern. Um, so you can get a signed copy from me on all my social, which is Creative Drunk. I'm Creative Drunk on everything. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Grinder, Thrinder, uh, whatever. And now, and and now, um, <laughs> why am I blinking? The, the the new app we just discussed. Oh, well, now on Clubhouse. Yeah, I just did a Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yes, I did, yeah, yeah. I did a Clubhouse today, which was quite a good time, uh, and I think I'm gonna keep trying to do it. So tune in there. And and as uh, as you mentioned, Ed, um, I do periodically do AMAs. Um, I have arc on Instagram. I have uh, archived them or whatever it's called all on my uh, on my bio page. So there's 15 of them currently. Uh, each of them has about 100 questions asked and answered on them. You can go uh, file through those and get a lot of infotainment. 
Um, There's a lot of information on those. I, 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 it's one of my favorite things that you do on thank social media you. because the, a lot of the live things that you do, it's hard for me to kind of like catch them in the moment. Speaking of clubhouse. Sure. Uh, but you know, uh, all of that stuff that you do with the AMAs, I, I find it fascinating because I, you can, when it's finished and it's still up there, you can kind of, you know, look at it in chronologically where somebody's like, Hey, you know, I've got uh, whatever Amara Montenegro and what, what do I do with this? And you give them a recipe and then you leave that, you know, show your work. And then 40, you know, posts later, you've get a, picture uh, yeah, repost of I what do. they did and, and, and how they did it yeah i do it's fascinating uh yeah i started asking people to show their work uh because i was saying to them you know i'm here doing the work you're asking me these questions and this is work for me i'm doing the work i appreciate it if you'd show me the work when you complete it um don't just come here and 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 ask me questions and then not go and use it go use it and then post it and if you tag me and i will repost it and i will say showing the work uh, and i love it it's been really successful um uh, in in the way that it's fulfilling, it's fulfilling. It's not there's no success or non-success on Instagram, sure. just posting pictures or whatever. Uh, starting this Sunday for the first time, this past Sunday, I don't know if you saw in my stories, but I made uh, crispy skin pork belly with uh, white beans, yeah. and people kind of went bananas for it. Uh, you know, again, my chefing days. Uh, so I said, well, hell, that seemed fun. So I put up a a, um, a, a poll. And I said, well, this Sunday, I'm going to either make uh, spaghetti bolognese or um, sp uh, spaghetti carbonara. Uh, and I let people vote. Uh, carbonara won. So this Sunday, I'm going to make carbonara. Tomorrow, I'm going to post out a, 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 a grocery list. Uh, and because we're making carbonara, which uses eggs and egg yolks, we'll have some egg whites left over. We're going to make an egg white cocktail to go with it. Uh, will be some story and some live Instagram components. I don't know yet how the fuck I'm going to do this. I, I, drunkenly, <laughs> I drunkenly said I would do this. And as you know, I've known me for as long as you've known me, I subscribe to the Hemingway rule, which is uh, uh, always do sober what you promised while drunk. That's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know the rest of that. Uh, the, there is a there is a second line to that, uh, uh, that, uh, that idiom, which is uh, always do sober what you promised while drunk. That'll teach that'll you. Keep, that'll keep, keep, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, you know, and I, it I, funny you said that because it reminds me of one of my favorite kind of uh, periods. Um, because uh, number one, people don't realize I think that you know because time has moved. You know, like twenty years have passed with you behind the bar. Yeah, and you don't talk about your time. Uh, you know, I guess with you know on television with Alan Brown, and then like teaching. Uh, you know, culinary school for all this time and, and being a, a legit chef. And, um, but I loved when uh, there was a period, I think it was right after you kind of joined Speakeasy, um, where you took over the little, um, was it a French place? That's oh, yeah. right around the corner yeah. bar? Or, and you're like, you were working like your bar and then going over there and cooking all night. Or I, I, I couldn't, I don't remember what that, you know, kind of timeline was, but, and then you were going on the radio. It was like, oh man, we got our asses kicked last night. And it was like, it was really cool for me to hear that because it was something totally different. And you really, uh, I, I guess, kind of captured, you know, what, it, what it's like in the kitchen. And, you know, we, we hear a lot of culinary podcasts, but it's always, you know, the kind of like splendid table, like, ooh, and here's this beautiful spice. And you were like, man, we got killed. And it was this, and it's only me because it's a small place, right? You know, and um, 19 seats. I took it over for um, uh, 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 a month. Um, was it a month? Yeah, yeah. These guys. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's uh, uh, we became partners. Pierre uh, Moulon, which means uh, Peter Windmill in English. He's French. Uh, we opened a windmill together. Uh, that was the bar that we opened together, which is all. Oh, all I didn't realize that. 
Yeah, that was all about French spirits. Of course, it it died during COVID. The French Diner is still open and operating. They've been killing it. Uh, they did the you know the outdoor parklet uh, that we have in New York, and they've been they've been they've been thriving. But yeah, I took it over for a month when they decided to take a, a month of uh, August off and go on vacation. Um, I ran my bar. I went in there every day and prepped and cooked for only 19 seats, but packed every night because people wanted to come and see me flail and <laughs> flail and fail and maybe succeed. Um, many friends, many regulars to the bar, I, I or to the restaurant rather. Uh, it was a great experience, and it, it was my first time stretching my culinary wings in years in a professional sense. And I was putting out food and selling it at, at you know at a, at a New York City price, so I had to really dive in and get get it done. Uh, but what a great time it was. Um, and, you know, it just shows you that if I'm anything, I hope I'm some kind of example for, you know, a little bit brave and a little bit crazy. Um, uh, you know, you, you should do stuff. You should stretch your own limits. Don't right. just become complacent. Complacency is uh, is wilting on the vine. You know, uh, try and get out there and do something that's going to uh, inspire you the most. Uh, and hopefully that inspire other people. But inspire yourself. You say that because when I was going to give you my my assessment of you and, and, and you know, um, in three words, would be a seeker of inspiration, you know, just constantly seeking that next thing to like kick off the next round and, you know, kind of get into that stream of consciousness of inspiration. You know, you're, you're always willing to dive into a new thing, learn about it and see where it takes you. I am. Um yeah, you know, uh, I packed my bags and left home at age 17, four days after graduating high school. I've lived in 12 states since then. Um, I'm very, I've always been very willing to just pick up and move on. Uh, experience has always been um, what I what I want out of any situation. Uh, and um, experience equals education, and I'm always seeking knowledge. And then mm. uh, the most gratifying thing about that seeking of knowledge is the uh, it's twofold. It's the acquirement of that knowledge. And then, of course, it's sharing it. So we're back to sharing. You know, uh, we talked about sharing earlier. We talked about sharing even earlier than that. Uh, sharing is what it's all about. Like, this is why we're here. We're here to share. Mm -hmm. We're here to share. That's the uh, the one thing of getting older or the one aspect of getting older that I absolutely uh, don't take for granted and I enjoy is that, you know, I now have, you know, 27 years of hospitality under my belt. Um, for better or worse, I'm old enough now that occasionally people listen to me. So, you know, Same. gray hair does wonders for, you know, your, <laughs> your credibility. <laughs> that's right. There you go. Credibility is where yeah. I'm, I'm talking. I'm like, the English language has been rough for me this evening. I'm like, there's words that are just about an inch away from my tongue. That's but yeah, I'm exactly. You know, I, in journalism school is the same situation. Like, I mean, all my, you know, I went to school when I was older and, uh, you know, I got interviews and I got, you know, I was going to the state house and meeting with senators and stuff when none of my, you know, classmates could because I had gray hair. <laughs> so, yeah, I think people assume they assume that I was actually working for a publication like so. and, you know, not, and not a student. So you got some credence somehow. You got to get a little bit of clout. Oh, this guy, right. bring this guy in. You young guy, get out of here. Uh, you know, that, that beard probably helps. It makes you look quite scholarly. Um, I've had it since I was like 19. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it has been mentioned on the show, but it's been years. I grew the beard out when I was like 19 because um, I wanted to go to jazz clubs. I was a, I was a jazz musician. Mm. And I expected that, that was what I was going to spend my life. I have as heard a jazz you musician. tell this story in the past. Yeah, this right. is amazing. And so, 
Yeah, so I grew it out so that I could get into jazz clubs underage. <laughs> that was it. It wasn't even a drink. I just wanted to see the music. Brilliant. You know? Brilliant. Yeah. And it worked until I was like almost 21 and I got ballsy. And there was this one, there's this beautiful dive jazz club. In fact, I had the owner on the show before. And uh, that was the first bar I'd ever been to. And I've been going there for years. And I, I, I got brave and I brought a, a girl with me that was under 21 that I thought she looked old enough, but she definitely was not or did definitely did not because we they carted her and then my regular my regular cocktailer looked at me and she goes you know you've been coming here for a while i don't even think i've ever even looked at your id do you have it and i'm like mm, <laughs> we'll see you in 8 months oh, <laughs> shit <laughs> yeah oh, well. but uh, you know hey good times um so we we can find you at, at creative drunk across all platforms mm-hmm. You can buy the book directly from you. Please do. You can find you in the East Village at Amoria Margo. Well, actually, right now you're doing retail. Um, just just at, retail right now, but you can find me there, yeah, five days a week, uh, uh, you know, Wednesday through Sunday. Uh, anything else that we need to know about um, to point you in the right direction? I definitely want everybody to, like, you know, check you out on social media because you've been very active, especially you. for you know, someone of your age. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 51, baby. Uh, um, yeah, I, yeah, you, of course. Like, you put a lot of time and effort into like actually getting your message across. Like I said, in, in those AMA stories, you know, like uh, photos that kind of suck you in and draw you in and, and a lot of information. So uh, I, I, you're doing it right. I mean, that's, this is what the internet is supposed to be for, um, <laughs> you know. Super, super glad to hear from you, my colleague, who who's enjoying it, and I hope uh, other people do. And I, I, I know that they do. I get a lot of response from it. And it's really a good time for me. It's, you know, uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, the biggest uh, heartache of of COVID for me uh, has been the lack of ability to uh, interact with my guests. You know. Yeah. We work, we work in a business where we literally talk to people all the time and then suddenly to be to be isolated from people for this long has been, you know, somewhat, uh, you know, soul crippling. Um, yeah. and, and, and man, to be able to have the luxury of the Internet and reach out to people and, and be able to interact directly. You know, I answer every DM I get. I even if it's just a little heart, I answer it. Um, I answer every single, when I do an AMA, I answer every single question I get before the AMA expires. So that's 24 hours. Um, uh, yeah, I, I love the engagement. The engagement has been keeping me whole. Uh, and then you said, where else can you find me? Um, so I'm creative drunk. Of course, my bar is Amor Iamargo, A-M-O-R-Y, A-M-A-R-G-O, Amor Iamargo. And then, uh, I have my own podcast. I know we're on yours and it's, we're overdue to have you on mine. Uh, we were both up for the same award this past year at Tales of the Cocktails, Spirited Awards, the best podcast, broadcast, or video series. Um, I keep of- saying that we're going to win because we just, you can't win twice, right? So we're just, we've just we gotten rid of all the good ones. They've already won. So eventually, like, the shitty ones have to start getting awards. <laughs> we're, we're good ones, too. Listen, uh, uh, so mine's called The Speakeasy. You can find it on Instagram at uh, uh, Speakeasy. Uh, you can find it on Twitter at The Speakeasy Podcast. And we're on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we're a live radio show and and, and yeah. podcast available on all platforms, wherever you listen. So please tune in. We've been on for 10 years now. We've got, well, actually. Congratulations. That's actually, insane. Actually, sorry. This January marks 11 years. It feels like the last wow. year didn't count. We've been on for 11 years. Um, we have uh, over 450 episodes for you to go back and catch up on. It's like a history lesson of the cocktail revolution. And when you start from. It the, really is. It really is. When you start from the beginning. Um 
but yeah, you can you can find me there. Uh, and and you know what, I I, I disagree, Ed. I, I don't know that I want to win. I want to keep getting this. We've, <laughs> we've been we've been nominated three years in a row. Uh, and I got a buddy, uh, Sam Lewinton. Uh, he's a real well-known cock, uh, sorry coffee guy, uh, and he's been in the uh, international barista competition. Oh, wow. uh, four years in a row, of course, COVID, we're skipping a year, but the past mm-hmm. four years before COVID, he was in the international finals. And each of those four years, he placed fourth place. He didn't even get into the, the, the finals, which is three, or, well, he was in the finals. He didn't even get into third place, which is what we consider like, you know, silver, mm-hmm. silver, silver, yeah. silver, gold, copper or whatever. Uh, and I said to him, hey, Sam, when are you going to stop trying? You're not getting any better. And he goes, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to stop. Uh I would bet that mo- most of the people who follow this awards, uh, uh, this competition, don't know who won four years ago. Right. Yeah. But my name's been in for four years in a row, and it <laughs> does my. He he owns three coffee spots here in New York. They're all called Every Man Every Man Espresso. He's like my name's in it every year, so I'm going to keep being in it forever. Uh, so you know, like you just said, if you win, you can't be in it again. So I'd rather just be in it every year without winning, so my name is always in there. <laughs> Well, I, I loved it when we um, when Shift Drink got nominated because there is another show um, mm-hmm. that is recorded out of Washington D.C. called Shift Drink. So because of that potential confusion, um, they listed it as Shift Drink with Ed Rudiso. I'm like, well, this is fantastic. My name's not even really part of the show. I'm like, I can take, I'll take that advertising. Yeah, you know, um, and and I mean, it, it it's it is fun and it's a great honor because it does mean that someone. I always joke to say somebody other than my mom listens to this, but I found out recently that my mom doesn't listen. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it, it is fun. You know, I've been, it's a very surreal feeling to like go into a bar um, in another country, which happened when I was in Asia last year or uh, it's happened in DC a few times. Hell, it happened um, in New York. Uh, we sat down and somebody recognized my voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was just, so you, you have a very uh, distinct voice. I do not. Yeah. Uh, my co-host is Damon Bolte. He does have a distinct voice and he gets recognized places. We're sitting at bars together and someone will be like, are you Damon Bolte? <laughs> Cause he's a very it's deep the voice. It's the voice that does it. Not the hair, the cowboy hat. No, we're like, <laughs> we're a, a radio show. They can't see him. Um, <laughs> True, true. But uh, but yeah, the, the, yeah, your voice is very distinct and it's, it's, I, I think uh, that's a, uh, uh, that's a that's a that's a plus sign in in the in the podcasting world is to have a distinct voice. I don't know that mine I don't know that mine is or isn't. Um, but I yeah, I mean, I, if I heard your voice across the bar, I would absolutely know know who I was talking to without <laughs> ha- ever having seen you. Of course, you got the red glasses, so it's easy to uh, spot you if anybody's ever seen uh, a photo of you. Um, we're gonna point everybody to all of your links um it's gonna take me an hour to write it now because we've mentioned all of them uh (laughs) but we'll put all that on the show notes um and that'll be up there at shiftdrinkpodcast.com and then of course on all the uh all the platforms and i appreciate coming back on the show again it's been a year it certainly doesn't feel like it's been a year (laughs) i know you and i text back and forth uh, uh, yeah right (laughs) i mean we text back and forth a lot i just didn't realize that it already been um that so much has happened you know in, in those beginning days there was just a lot of things going on and and you and i were very much in the same headspace and in the same situation so um well we're in exactly the same situation right now as we're sure. hanging on to the last one we got to keep that last one going you know yep um I'm, I'm, but I'm you know, I, 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 yeah i i am as well and i think that you know we are Hopefully through the worst of it, I, I that I, I do feel pretty confident in that. And I would say 
as pessimistic of a, as I've been over the last year, I do feel that um, it barring any sort of like super strain that we have yet to see, I think that we are at least over the hump uh, and where we can survive this and then just figure out what moves to make to make next. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, you know, but uh, I mean, you've, uh, on a, on a personal emotional note, you know, um, you've helped me get through a lot of this over the last year, man. And I do appreciate that. You know, it's the, you know, when you uh, own a place, um, it's a very, it's very lonely at the top, right? Like it's, I mean, you can't call your bartenders and, 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 and mope because then they're like, are you going to lay me off? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Agreed. agreed. Uh, we, <laughs> in, in that regard, we, we do have to be the captains of the ship. We have to be uh, as noble and, and respectful of everyone around us as we can. Um, and it's been hard. It's been definitely hard. And uh, I would I would echo the same sentiment to you, Ed. You've been, uh, you know, whether we've been texting or uh, or uh, I've just seen your 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 name uh, in articles, or I've seen the things you posted on social media. Man, I've been right there with you the whole time. So I appreciate you as well. Well, sir, and to everybody out there listening, please check out uh, all of books. Uh, well, all his books. Well, two the two, two books, and then there's maybe two. another one coming. I'm just here for the drinks and and uh, websites, bars, etc. Uh, Speakeasy, one of my favorite shows, actually was uh, the uh, impetus for us starting uh, Shift Drink. So uh, all those fun things. You guys have been a big influence on us and what we do here. So, uh, Souther, cheers. Uh, all the best to you, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, talk to you again on the show very, very soon. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers buddy. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to our next talk on your show, and I'm also looking forward to having you on The Speakeasy. So. Uh, New York is uh, the first on my list. When it is safe to travel, absolutely number one on the list. So awesome. my wife has been bugging me already. Awesome. Let's, let's get it done. Cheers, sir. Cheers, buddy.